Well, what a special privilege for us today. For those of you who don't know, I want to introduce you to Pastor Willie O'Burke. So Pastor Willie and I, well, we've known you for 14 years probably by at now. Least, yeah. So we, uh, we spent time together at Mountain View. Willie and his family were part of the plant to Windsor and, and came here. So Willie was the leader of the Greeley Community Group, Dan Hardy of the Windsor Community Group, and they came together. And then I, I came along, kind of like the lost puppy dog. Then Willie and about 40 others went from Windsor Community Church and some others from Mountain View went to Greeley a couple of years ago for a church plan. And we have the privilege today of having Willie back to open the word with us. So without further ado, let me pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for this brother. What a blessing he has been in my life and I know many of our lives. Lord, you have given him your words to speak over and over again. And we we so anticipate what you're going to teach us through Willie this morning. So, Lord, would you ordain his lips and would you speak through him today? And would you prepare our hearts for you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning, everybody. I, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me back. Now, one thing that I do require before we get started first would be some light. Can we, can we let there be light? Is that possible? And then the other thing, if you don't mind, would you please look at me in the eyes and smile? Okay. Uh, I, I tell you what, there is, uh, there's, there's really nothing like worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just uh, what a privilege and an honor. Worship team. Thank you. Thank you for leading us in worship. And those, I always need that before I come up to the pulpit and, uh, and preach. And uh, so it's, it's a privilege and an honor to worship Jesus. And it's a privilege to be here. I do pace a lot, so you have to, you know, uh, get used to that. Um, but I, I, before we, we get into the Word, we're going to get to James today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get that ready and open to James. But I thought just real quickly uh, I would kind of give you an update. Um, Dino, it's been almost three years since we planted. It was August of 2006 when we planted uh, Crawford Chapel of Greeley. And uh, all of the, the folks on the other side, east, the east side there, uh, the other side of the track, say hello. Uh, we just are so grateful um, for all of your support, prayerful support, uh, financial support. You guys, being our mama, have uh, given us a lot of uh, support in every single possible way, and we are so grateful. And so there you have it. Every year we take a family picture. Uh, it's kind of an annual thing now. Uh, the person taking the picture has to go further and further out because, you know, I guess that's what you have to do to get everybody in there. And uh, there's, there's this year's family photo. And all of those folks uh, come with me today to say uh, we love you and we thank you. Um, we keep our message and our, 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 I should say our mission pretty simple, just like you guys do. Uh, we are called uh, by God to, uh, first of all, love God, love people, and change the world. And that's what we say all the time. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love, just like the great commandment says, when Jesus taught us about this, he said you need to love God supremely, but then that love needs to go out on others, right? Love your neighbor. And uh, there's the one another's in the body and also the lost. And I really appreciate uh, what you guys were saying in the worship team this morning just about the lost. And then what happens then is the great commission then is fulfilled. When we go out with power and we... Uh, we change the world because Jesus Christ is with us always and we have the gospel and that love of Christ and we go out there in the world and we, and we change the world and make disciples, to go and make disciples. And so that's what we've been doing. And, and we've seen, even this year alone, we've had at least seven people come to Christ. 
Uh, we've seen six baptisms. We just found out another, another person has given their lives to Jesus. We're going to have to have another baptism. Oh, darn, you know. Um, but uh, God's at work there. But I'll say this, too. Uh, just like with every church, we're nearing the three-year mark. Um, we have our trials and our troubles and challenges, guys. We really do. And uh, we have some very significant ones going on at this time. And so I just want to, first of all, ask you, please continue to pray for us because we absolutely need it as we are praying for you guys. And I, you know, we're in contact with the pastors here. I know that you guys, uh, we all need some, uh, some prayer and lifting up. But also, um, you know, getting to James now is we're going to stroll into James. And uh, thankfully, I have two and a half hours today, which is great. Yeah. I'm kidding, Dean. I, I know I'll only have an hour and a half. But if we, uh, if we, if we talk about James, and we'll, the, the Lord really put this, this book on the pastor's hearts in Greeley because of the significant challenges. And he actually put it on our hearts a long time ago. And we just started teaching it on Sunday mornings like you guys are doing in Genesis, right? You're doing Genesis. We're doing the same thing uh, in James. Uh, we started in February. And, um, but we say this often, maybe not too often, but often enough, the reminder of what Jesus told us in John 16:33. You guys know that scripture, that verse? When Jesus said this, I love the honesty. He says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trials. Tribulation. I, I love the honesty about that. You know, I, I love how God doesn't blow smoke. I love how he is perfectly purely honest with us in this world you will have challenges and they're going to be according to james kind of pulling james into this they're going to be trials of various shapes and sizes and degrees it's going to happen but then he said this but take courage for i have overcome the world i have overcome those issues i have overcome those challenges and the lord right there is telling us to look up you know He's telling us where the source of our hope and our peace really is. It's not here on the earth. And just like he said in Colossians 3, set your heart and mind on things where? Above. Look up where Jesus is. Not on this earth. Right? And so the reality for every Christian and for every person on this planet is that there's going to be trouble. Enter James. The book of James starts off with a bang when it talks about trials. And if I could summarize what this book really is, I believe that it is uh, five chapters of giving us the character of genuine living faith. This is what the real deal looks like. Okay, What faith is all about. And I would submit to you that throughout these five chapters, what the Holy Spirit does through James here, and James is the brother of our Lord Jesus, he was a pastor in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul called him a pillar of the church, a really strong, godly man, and strong in faith. He had this church in Jerusalem, and due to persecution that came to these Jewish Christians, they had a newfound faith in Christ. They were scattered around, and that was part of God's plan. He says, you've got to get out of Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria. Well, that persecution got him scattered. But can you imagine if persecution came to this church and we had to be scattered and we lose, you know, places to live and where we work and where we fellowship, that's kind of a hard thing, right? So we have these guys scattered all around, these Jewish Christians. But what happens is when these Jewish Christians are kind of settling around the region and different churches are starting to form, these guys have issues. They're young in their faith. They profess faith. Some of them might profess but not truly believe. 
So James, what he does, and again, it's the Holy Spirit who inspired every word of this, of this letter. But he writes and he says, I'm going to give you a series of examination rooms for your faith. Every passage you come to is going to be like a test of your faith. That's a biblical thing. And 2 Corinthians 13, 5 even says, test yourselves. See if you are really in the faith. Examine yourselves. Look in your heart. Don't look at where you go. Don't look at what you put on. Don't look at the routines and the rituals. In fact, James in our passage today even gets to that. But no, look inside your heart and see, test. See if he, the Lord, is really sitting on the throne of your heart. That's what this book's about. And so I've been encouraging the body, every time we come to a passage, you've got to bring your faith with you. And you've got to sit it right next down to the passage. And let's let James comb through our faith and, and see, first of all, if it's real. Do you notice that there are a lot of opinions about what real faith is, uh, looks like? Do you notice that? I do. Even in the church, I see it. And, and so we've got to come with an, a heart that says, I want to take honest examination. I want to set my faith next to this passage. Lord, do your work. And maybe you'll find, absolutely, you're in the faith. But maybe you'll, you'll see some weaknesses in your faith. Maybe you'll see some wounds in it. Maybe you'll see some misunderstandings in your faith. And then we've got to let James do his work. Right? And so that's what I want to encourage everybody to do today. And this is an examination room. We, we, we looked at uh, this, uh, like I said, starting in February. It started out with trials. Tell you what, if your faith isn't real and you come through an incredibly, incredibly horrific trial, you're not going to stay with God. You're going to bail. Nothing. Nothing is a test of faith like it is when the heat's turned up in your life. But the Lord, and, and James here, this first passage that we're not going to look at today, but he says, I want you to reach through the darkness and I want you to reach into your hope, which is Christ. You've got to see through it. That's how we persevere. We need Jesus Christ for that. And then he talks about temptation and how we need to, you know, when those, those urges come, those, those temptations to sin, to have an attitude or a thought or a word or, or a deed that's sinful. Man, we've we got to lean on the Lord. That's a test of our faith. And then we come to this one. And our passage today is James chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. And we're going to see how far we can get today. I want to get to at least the, the uh, hearing and doing of the word. But guys, listen, we're going to pray here in a second again. I, I, I always want to ask the Lord to be the teacher um, and, uh, and give this, uh, this time up to him. But let me, let me say this. I don't know if there's a more profound test of, of Christian faith, of genuine faith, than, than this one here. And I think that's why I was asked to teach this passage. Guys, listen. The Word of God is what we're looking at. The test of responding to the Word of God. Do you know that you, in your own life and heart, can pretty quickly examine whether or not you're truly in, in Christ by asking yourself, how, what is my attitude when it comes to God's voice? when it comes to his gospel, when it comes to his word. In other words, if someone, if you look in your heart and you see in there a longing, like Dean was describing today, a longing to hear from God, and there's a pursuit of hearing the Lord's word and an obedience to that. Now, we're not perfect in our obedience. None of us is. And all of us will stumble across a verse or passage where we go, whoa, now that's a tough one. That really cuts. 
Or that's not what I was taught when I grew up or whatever. But at the end of the day, we, we, we let the word conform us and not the other way around because we long to do the will of God. We long to hear from our dad. When that's a reality and not just something you pretend about, but it's the real deal, that is evidence of the life of Christ in you. But the converse is true. And when you look in your heart this morning, by the end of our time, and, and I believe that God's going to convict all of us in this passage, but if you look in there and you have a hatred or a rejection for the word, if you denounce it, argue against it, rationalize why that's not true contextually, rebel against it, and here's the key, willfully disobey God's voice, that's evidence that the life of Christ is absent from you. Did you hear that? This is why this is a significant test. See, I think the greatest fear as a pastor that I have for our body in Greeley and for anybody a pastor in this network is that we would have people that fill the seats who pretend to be Christians. We don't want that. Frankly, I don't think any of us wants that. Right? And so this is... A, a crucial test. And I would like to invite everybody this morning to don't put the wall up, man. Don't put the defenses up. Don't do that. Put your dukes down. Take your heart out. Open it up. Take your faith with you. And let's see what God has for us today. Let's let Him test our faith. Let's let Him prove our faith or disprove it. And if God reaches in your heart this morning and says, it's not real. You may be religious. You may be spiritual. But you're not, you're not in me. And maybe today is the day you bow your knee to Christ. Time is short, guys. Have you been noticing what's going on in the world? Time's wasting. We can't waste it. We can't waste it. No question is more important than this one. Am I really in Christ? And we can know that by how we respond to the Word. Okay? You with me? Can we pray first, though? Let's pray. Lord... I, uh, before we start here, I um, just want to thank you that you love us beyond our ability to even reason that love. Not only do you know us, God, but you know us intimately. You know every single detail of every single heart in this room. And maybe that scares us a little bit, but it's true. You know what scares us. You know what our personality quirks are. You know the kind of week we've had, the kind of morning we've had. You know when we've lied, we've cheated. Lord, you know everything about us, and yet you love us so much. And Father, somehow on these kinds of opportunities when we go to your word, I see that love and that knowledge, that intimate knowledge you have, cross-section. That we, as we come to your word, we get to hear from you and how much you love us. And Lord, there is no way any man, any human person, can look inside or look at a person's face and see the heart. It's impossible. And I just go to that scripture, Jesus, you told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you say, abide in me. So, Lord, this morning, what a responsibility and what a privilege, but what a responsibility it is to do this. 
And I just tell you right now, Lord, I can't. And I'm agreeing with you, Lord, that nothing I'm going to say, no opinion or preference of my own, is going to do anything to help anybody. Father, I want to move behind you, behind the cross this morning. And I want to veil my heart. I want to be a vessel. And I ask you, Lord, to be the one who speaks to us and guides our time. Lord, I am unworthy and I am inadequate for this. But we don't look to me or any man. Lord, we look to you. Father, would you powerfully speak today? Would you take your word that you inspired and inspire us and convict us? And Lord, that there are people here that are not new creations. Pretenders maybe, deceived maybe, whatever it looks like. God, would you please clearly speak to their hearts too? And all of us, Lord, all of us need to hear from you. All of us, me included. So God, we offer this time to you and you would speak mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said? Amen. This passage, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. Again, I only got an hour and a half this morning, so I don't have much. But I, I, uh, I want us to pick it apart verse by verse and see how far we get. And this is what we do, right? This is what we do. We want to dig into Scripture. And, and I believe, even though your Bible may separate the passages uh, between 18 and 19, I believe that 18 needs to be where we start in this passage. Again, we're in James chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. And the reason I want to start in verse 18 is because there's this reminder. See, we're about to, to, to hear about how we are to respond to the Word. Again, it's, it's a test of our faith. But we're going to see first how we're to receive the Word and then how we're supposed to do the Word. Okay, those are the two paths that, that the text takes us to. But before we even get to that... I think James wants us to know what we're talking about when we talk about the Word and what we're dealing with here. Okay? So, read with me verse 18. I'll read, uh, allow you to read silently. But this is what he starts off with. This is the summary, the thesis statement of the whole passage. In the exercise of God's will, God brought us forth. And if you're, and if you're into uh, writing your Bible, underline that. Brought us forth by... The word of truth. So that we would be, as it were, the first fruits among God's creatures. Now, we go through the motions and we go through Christian motions and we go to church and the Bible is a regular part of our lives for a lot of us. And sometimes, sometimes, and I'm not saying you, but I know for me, sometimes the edge is taken off a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Bible, that's good stuff, yeah. I like the Bible. I like reading the Bible. I like hearing the Bible preached. It's all good. It's good. But there's something about it. Maybe the, the corners are a little edged off, you know, sandpapered off a little bit. And, and you know, I, I think we need to be reminded regularly of what we're dealing with. See, see, he says the word of truth there. What's the word of truth? It's God's word. Truth, word, God, it's all synonymous. See, Jesus even said, I am the way and I am the truth. Uh, John, when he starts out, he uses the word logos, this, this capital W word. Jesus Christ is the living word. And what he says comes from his being, who he is. So is he talking about the Bible? Yes. Is he talking about the gospel? Yes. Is he talking about how God providentially speaks to us through his church? Yes. Somebody asked me the other day, how do you define truth? And I said, Simply, it's what's real. Truth is what really is. 
And who's our source of that? God. The Lord is. Okay? So, the word of truth. Now, uh, what's he saying here in verse 18? That it's the word of truth that brought us forth. Listen. Do we understand how powerful the words of God are? There's a couple of ways we can kind of be reminded of that. You're in Genesis. Great. First two chapters of Genesis. What did God do? Well, let's see. He spoke into nothing. And out of nothing, he created everything. And how did he do it? Did he have to have a, some, you know, Jesus kind of wipe off his forehead and got his tool belt out? And Did he have to do that? No. You know what he did? He spoke. Words created stuff. You see? Now look, when, man, when mankind creates, first of all, we can't pull out of nothing something. We have to start with something. If I'm going to, or not me, I'm terrible at building stuff, but if, if we're going to build a ship, you need metal. If you're going to do a sculpture, you need a rock. We need to start with something. Well, God didn't. He spoke to nothing and created. That's just, and, and he didn't have to use anything, just his word. That's how powerful the words of God are. But I, I think in our own understanding, there's something even more powerful. And I, and I hesitate to say that because God, there's no more or less powerful with God's economy. But our understanding of his power, think about it. And this is what James is saying. God is so powerful. His words are so powerful that he can speak into death and pull out life. In Ephesians chapter one, uh, chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul says this. Before we are Christians, before we give our lives to Christ, it says, you, me, us, are dead in our sin. Dead. Not neutral. Not, you know, I can kind of find my path and I worship this way any way I want. We are dead in our sin. And then down a little further, after it describes a little bit, verses 4 and 5. But God made us alive in Christ. That means that God's words are so powerful that they can speak into death and create life. Can anybody here do that? Jesus demonstrated that physically in John 11 when uh, Lazarus, who was dead for four days, with his words said, Lazarus, come forth. And that's all he did. And the guy came alive. But you know what James is telling us? He's reminding us. Physical life, that's one thing. Spiritual life. We were brought forth. We were brought out of death. We were pulled out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's how powerful. When you read your Bibles, understand that the words that God literally breathed onto these pages can change you permanently. In fact, in Romans 12, it even says, we are to be transformed by this. You see, not conformed. Be not conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he talking about? The word of truth. So he says that. Now, is everybody with me? Can we, can we kind of feel maybe a little, oh, you know what? Maybe I have been a little rubbed on the edges there. Man, I've got to go back to, my goodness, the words of God. They, they saved me. Now look at this. In verse 19, he says, And this you know, my beloved brethren. Now he's talking again to Christians. These are Jewish Christians who've been scattered abroad. But he's talking to our brothers 
and sisters in Christ here. And he says, Christian, you know this already. This you know. We don't have to be told that. If we're in Christ, we know. We know that God did these things. We know that he spoke into our lives and pulled us out of the dominion of evil and darkness and pulled us into his wonderful light. You know this already. You know the power of the word. Sometimes, you know, we, we say, man, I just, don't, I just don't know if God's working in my life anymore. I think we've got to remember, well, time out. Didn't he make you a new creation? Literally? A new creation in Christ? Absolutely. If you're in Christ, he did. So you know this already. And then he says this little bitty and yet powerful word. And what is it? This you know, my beloved brethren, but. I love saying that from the pulpit. That's fun to say. But. And he says, but. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're going to get that in just a second. But. That word but means this. Okay, significant word. Why? Because the idea here is, yes, you know it. But it's not enough to just know it. We also must follow up on what we know. Okay? So if you're a Christian, you've experienced the power of God working through the Word and His gospel and His voice. He made you alive with Christ. But we have got to continue to let God's Word do its powerful work in our lives. It's not, we're saved. Oh, that was beautiful. Beautiful. Let me just go ahead and shell that life and move on to another. That's not how this works. Salvation is the beginning of eternal life, which, by the way, has already started if you're in Christ. But now we get to walk with Christ. We get to see His immeasurable personal grace poured out on us every single day and watch Him change us, transform us. See? It's only started at salvation. And you know this already. But we've got to let it happen. We are born by the word of truth. It is the power of our new birth. But it's also, listen, the power of our new life. And so that all sets it up for us. And what happens again is that he takes this and now he says, okay, so how does that word, the word of truth, he calls it later the law of liberty. I love that. We think of the law as being kind of a bondage and keeping us down. The man's keeping us down, you know. But actually it's a law of liberty. That the law, the word, the gospel, it actually frees us from bondage. Okay. But how do we take the word and how does God use that to power up our lives? How do we see that? Well, first, it's in the receiving. And then second, in the living out. First it's in the hearing and then it's in the doing. And those two things go hand in hand. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. The first point then, and it should be up somewhere up here, saving faith is marked by a proper reception of the word. And the the question we're going to see answered here for us is, how do we do that? How do we receive the word? That's the theme of verses 19 to 21. And in verse 21, it even says, in humility, receive the word that's been implanted. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, thankfully, the text tells us. And there's going to be three features that we need to know insofar as receiving the Word of God that he pulls out here, okay? So here are three features, then, of receiving God's Word. First of all, if you're taking notes, this is important to hear, we must receive God's Word with an obedient heart. And you can also maybe put the word submissive heart in there. Either one of those will work. We need to be those who bow to God's will 
through his word and let him do his thing in each of our lives. We have to surrender. It's a surrender thing. It's a joyful obedience. And this feature then, the, the obedient heart feature here, it has some things underneath it. So there's three big points, but under this first one, there's some sub points here because he kind of describes for us, what does it mean to have an obedient heart? What does it mean to have a submissive heart? Well, let's see what he says. He says, first of all, you must be quick to hear, quick to listen. Now, I suppose I should stop here before we get too far. And let me tell you this, this passage here, when it says be uh, quick to listen or hear and slow to speak, uh, we often use that as sort of an overall, you know, quality of wisdom that we should walk with in our lives. Uh, some of the scriptures in the Old Testament even talk about that. It's wise to not say too much, to not run at the mouth, which really makes a preacher feel great. Um, but, and that's wise. You know, it's a wise thing not to just keep, you know, yapping the gums and, and not opening the ears. It's a wise thing. L- let, me, let me go cautiously and open my ears up and not speak too much, okay? But that's not the context of this passage. What... James is talking about here, it's all over. The primary emphasis of this passage, the context of the whole thing, is the Word of God. Okay, verse 18, Word of Truth. Verse 21, receive the Word. Verse 22, be doers of the Word. Yeah, verse 23, hearer of the Word. Uh, Verse 25, the perfect law of liberty. It's all about God's Word. And so, as we go through this, you see, be quick to listen to the Word. You see it? That's how this is built. So be quick to listen to what? Be quick to listen to the Word of God. What does that mean? Guys, listen. The idea here is that we need to have an eagerness to grasp every opportunity we can to hear from God and His Word. We have to be eager to put ourselves and our hearts in the place where we hear from God. There needs to be a longing a passion. It needs to be our deep heart's desire. We've got to pursue every occasion that we have to obtain the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His truth, of His will, of His grace, of His love. It's to be eager to do that. And that's the same thing. Throughout the whole chapter, he even set it up. Uh, When he talked about trials, James says, let me describe trials for you. They're going to come in all shapes, sizes, degrees. It's going to be hard. Man, you're going to have hard times with your trials. And so in verse 5, he says, so if you lack wisdom, in other words, if you're having a real tough time figuring out why, God, did this have to happen, he says, you know what you lack? Wisdom. And you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go to God for wisdom. What is he saying? We've got to hear from God. And temptation is the same thing. Here's the progression of temptation. Here's how you go from being tempted to sinning. Are you supposed to depend upon yourself to figure out how to be tempt, you know, get out of temptation in harm's way? No. We're supposed to be like David. Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So I won't be, well, I won't sin against you when I'm tempted. So this is nothing new in James. And so he now he's saying, listen, let me just bottom line it for you. Believer, Christian, when it comes to the opportunities to hear the word, you've got to be eager, fervent. You've got to be a sponge to allow the word of truth to connect with your heart. This is not about just reading the words. Man, it's about letting the power of God in these words, in these principles, connect with your heart and your life. And I want to ask you, 
Is that, does that characterize your heart? Maybe it's been a little, you know, callous lately for whatever reason. The reasons are going to come up here, by the way, in just a second. But again, every Christian's heart, there's a longing, there's a desire to hear from God. I tell you what, it's a nightmare. It would be a, an absolute nightmare if God was silent. I'm going to read something from the Psalms. In Psalm 28, this is what David said. He said, Lord, I call upon you, my rock. Listen, do not be deaf to me. And if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the grave. What's he saying? I would rather die than for God to be silent in my life. Does that describe you and I? Does that describe us? I'm just going to ask it. Guys, do you hunger to hear from God? Do you hunger to hear from God? Or can you take it or leave it? You know, is God being silent? Nah, no big deal. Or is it a really big deal? This is more, again, than just, I like to listen to good sermons on Sunday and listen to good sermons on the radio and I enjoy reading a good Christian book. You know, I think if we're not careful, we can make all that seem like entertainment. You know, I love to be entertained on Sunday morning by the sermons. I love to be entertained when I put that CD from John MacArthur in my dashboard. You know, well, that's not what James is talking about at all. He's not talking about being entertained. And he's not even talking about going through routine. You know, I, I read a quote about this, and a pastor said it this way. He said, you know, a lot of Christians read their Bibles, but they don't take what they read in their hearts. They're just moving the bookmark forward in their Bible. See? Oh, man, may it never be. See? That's not what James is talking about. Be quick, eager to hear from God. Why? See, if you are his child, don't you need to hear from dad? I got three boys. Okay? I got three precious, persistent, active, precious, persistent boys. Okay? And I'm their dad. And they're a lot like me. God help them, you know? But they are. But what do they need? Don't they need their father's encouragement? Don't they need their father's guidance? Don't they need their father to speak to them in their hearts and, and, and set them on their way and each day building them and train them and disciple them? Doesn't that doesn't it have to happen? And if it doesn't, aren't you profoundly affected the rest of your life? Yeah? Well, that's what we have to long for with God. Now again, I ask the question, do you long to hear his voice or not? And if the answer is yes, well, maybe the faith is real. And if it's no, maybe, maybe it's not. Or maybe you're having a hard season and there's been a kind of callousness. That's a word, I don't know, but something's really affected their longing. And I just want to encourage you, listen. Man, don't let anything stand between you and your need for your daddy's voice. Nothing. Secondly, the second thing under the big first thing so he says be quick to hear and slow to speak keep it in context slow to speak what the word of god come on now come on you're either falling asleep or looking at your watch or whatever no 
be slow to speak the word of God. That's what this is. In other words, do not be too presumptuous and quick to stand up and speak on behalf of God. Unless you're prepared for all that that entails. And that's what he's saying. In other words, listen, yes, let's be eager to pursue every opportunity to hear the word, but let's be cautious and slow to speak on behalf of God. Okay? There's wisdom in that. I love this. And I think that in the context of James, if you go through this book, you see, man, they're just running at the mouth. Their tongues are just certainly just out of control all over the place. Okay? So he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't just be quick to go up to somebody. You know, the Bible says, encourage one another daily. So I'm going to use that as a license to speak my opinion and kind of chunk Bible verses at you. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, there's a lot to, when we speak on behalf of God, there's a lot to that. We've all got to do a lot of listening before we do a lot of teaching. And I'll just put it this way. I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this, but man, I tell you what, uh, I, I, I teach about 60% of the sermons over in Greeley and, and every time I do, I tell you, I just, every day preparing for a sermon, I just, I have to get on my knees. And Lord, I can't do this. Who am I? You know, who am I? I get up in the pulpit and I beg God, be the speaker. After a sermon, it never fails. My wife will tell you, I feel sick to my stomach. And the reason is, is because I know that everything that I've just said, publicly heard, has a, a, an incredible influence. And not only that, but if I said anything misleading or untrue, I'm responsible for that. And you know what's fun? Is they're putting my sermons now on the World Wide Web. <laughs> you know? So who am I responsible for then? See, and I'm just sharing that with you because, guys, we should feel that. You know, we should feel it. When it comes to hearing the Word, be in a hurry to hear it. But when it comes to teaching, man, be slow and thoughtful. Slow down and be prayerful. Amen? And then, third one on that list of how to receive the word with obedience. And this might be the one that really drives that obedience thing home. Be slow to anger. Be slow to be angry. Angry with what? The word. Wow. How many of you have read a verse or a passage or passages or verses and you go, that really hurts me? How many sermons you walked away from going, ah, Boy, that stung. You know? I've got a lot of people telling me after I preach, they say, Willie, you're an idiot. No, they don't say that. They say, <laughs> they say, Willie, um, how come you came to my house and spied on me all week? What's up with that? You know? Did you uh, come to my house and take notes or something? And, you know, contrary to what people might believe your pastors aren't stalkers at least most of us you know i send pastor dustin to do that for us um but no that's i think we have to understand there's a quality in god's word that is so profoundly unique in that god can take his word and be universally speaking to everybody just as powerfully but in each unique situation and so when you come across those passages be slow to go, oh, I don't, I'm not going to buy that because I don't like it. Or, that's not what I was taught growing up. And that's not what I believe. That's not my preference. Well, so, you know, I say this with all love in my heart, so what? <laughs> we need to submit to God's Word and not the other way around. How dare we ever say, God, you're wrong. Wow. That's playing God. 
And I know that every crowd I speak to, it doesn't matter where or when or how long or how big, somebody in the room needs to hear that. Maybe we all do. So guys, be slow to be angry. And by the way, that, that word for anger is not thumos. Thumos means explosive anger. Some of you have thumos personalities. You know, you're mad and everybody knows it. This is not that. This word means this deep-seated, underneath rejection or resentment, a smoldering stuff. And why that's profound is because, you know, if you let that go, if you have a little bit of a, a resentment that builds up in the Word or for God, that stuff's just going to get more and more and more, and it's going to turn into bitterness. And James says, don't do that. Okay? So, what have we covered? In receiving the Word, we've got to have a heart that is obedient. And underneath that obedience, we have to be quick to listen to God and His Word, slow to speak His Word, be cautious there, and certainly slow to be angry. But here's another one. And we've got to kind of rush through this a little bit, I know. But in the number two feature, not only do we have an obedient heart here, but we have to receive the Word with a clean heart. And I'll keep this real simple. Listen, willful sin is going to hinder the work of God in your life. It's going to hinder what the Word can do in your life. If you're holding on to sin willfully... You're going to hold on to that willful lie, that willful sinful activity, that willful fear, an unwillingness to grab hold of what God's trying to tell you. Of course, your relationship with God's going to suffer. Of course it is. You know? And so, let me ask you, is there something in your life when you're saying, man, I'm having a hard time hearing from God right now. Well, is there sin squeezing your heart? See? And he talks about that when he says, put aside all filthiness in verse 21. Put aside all the remains of wickedness. Okay? And so that's the second one is look inside your heart. Is there something there? Is there a sin, an attitude, even listening to the lies of the evil one? You know, the the, the evil one has this shovel and he just kind of scoops up lies and he just throws it at you all the time. Are we letting him... Let that stuff pile up. Well, we've got to have a clean heart in this. So we've got to go to prayer. And part of our prayer is, Lord, I, this thing is a hindrance between you and I. Clean it out, God. I want to believe what's true. And then thirdly, third thing about receiving the Word of God, we must receive God's Word with a humble heart. And that really sum, summarizes it all. The word humble here means teachable, pliable, moldable. I think James is telling us, listen, when he says this in verse 21, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He goes back to verse 18 there. It saved you. Now, you had to be teachable when you got saved. If you received the gospel, that had to be a teachable moment in your life. Keep doing that. Put aside your pride. Put that down. Put your assumptions and your preferences down. Put your ego down and submit to the one who's in charge of your life now. You gave the title deed to your, your king of your life. The title deed of your life, you gave it to Jesus. Now submit. Humbly be teachable. And if we're, maybe you're saying, well, you know, I just feel like, uh, wow, I've been at war with God and I've been at war with people. Well, maybe it's because we haven't given up our pride and our preferences. Now that's receiving the word, okay? And with the little time we have remaining, can I keep going? Is everybody okay in favor of that? All right. 
I guess. Secondly, we have this. Not only is saving faith marked by a proper reception of the word, but it's marked by a proper response to it, a reaction to it. And, uh, and again, we start this section off. Here it is again, verse 22. Another, the same word, the same little powerful word, but. Okay? So he says, here's how you receive the word, but. It's not just about receiving it. It's not just about hearing it. We also have to put the transformation that God is doing because of it into life. You know? We've got to do it. And this is profound. Guys, I don't even know if I, if I can even... I, I hope... You know, we just trust the Lord. We'll, we'll put this in our hearts. But this is so key. Okay? How do we live out the Word of God? That's what he's, he's talking about here. Don't just hear it. But, man, we've got to live it out. And he starts by saying, Prove yourselves doers of the Word. The word prove here is unique. It's, it's so cool. The word prove here means to become. The to come into being, to grow into. And that shows us there's a progression. Isn't it wonderful to know that we are supposed to become different? I'm pretty passionate and excited about that because I don't want to stay the same. I can be different tomorrow than I am today. And today I want to be different than I was yesterday. I want to be different next year than I am now. Don't you? And isn't it cool to know that that's kind of what it's all about for the Christian walk? Is not to stay the same. So prove yourselves doers of the word. And that's the key here. See, now, he says that. He says it, it's, it's not simply to be a hearer. As we says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. The word d- delude is so cool, so interesting. It means miscalculation. It means deceived deluded, deceived, but miscalculation. In other words, we make a gross miscalculation about true faith and godliness when when we just merely fill our heads with knowledge of Scripture but don't apply it. Okay? We make a gross miscalculation about this Christian life. We have to use it. We have to do it. We have to live it. And let's look at these words real quickly, deeper. I, I love this. He says... Prove yourselves to be doers, not merely hearers. Let's start with hearers. Okay? Hearers. Yeah. Now, this word, it comes up, by the way, three times in this passage. It's in verse 22, 23, and 25. And I say this. When the teacher writes something on the board and says it multiple times, what does that mean? It's on the test. Okay? So, hearer. He said it three times. Don't be merely a hearer. That's likened to being an auditor, auditing something. Like when you go to Ames Community College in Greeley, okay, and you audit a class, what that means is you pay for the class, and you have the right now to attend the class, and you come to the class, and you take notes at your leisure, and you can listen at your leisure, but you don't get graded. You don't take the tests, right? You're auditing the course. You're just paying for the privilege of just sitting there and hearing, well, that's what he's talking about. James is saying, listen, don't be a spiritual auditor. See, that's what that is. Here, merely here is a spiritual auditor. In other words, don't just audit church. Don't just audit the kingdom. Don't just sit in on the meetings with the Trinity. Don't just kind of come and, you know, you listen and you listen and you listen and you go, yeah, that was great, man. Pastor Dean, Pastor Dan, Pastor Chris, they, they preach, baby, they preach it. That was great. I feel more spiritual. Then you walk out of the doors, there's no change. And there's no commitment 
for your heart to follow what you just heard. Don't do that. Don't audit. Don't do that. Rather, he says, be a doer. The word doer is very key. Now, let me say this. This word doer, contrary to the way maybe we apply this, it does not mean be a spiritual taskmaster. In other words, somebody who makes lists, you know. Uh, Bible says this, mm-hmm, uh, Bible says this, yeah, put boxes next to them and check them off as you do them. No, sir. See, that's impersonal. That's just taking it in our own hands, see. He didn't want us to do that. So we can't do it where we audit, just kind of hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and nothing changes. And we can't do the other thing, the other extreme, which is we just sort of try to do it on our own and be religiously, spiritually, you know, checking off boxes. Don't do either of those. Either of those extremes, by the way, don't they take out the relationship with God? You know, are we supposed to have this wonderful relationship? Doesn't He want to relate to us? Yeah. So being a doer doesn't mean that. No, being a doer means there's something that happens to the whole character of your being in the doing. You're allowing the the Word to come into you. Like Romans 12 says, our spiritual act of worship, offering our bodies, and in this dynamic, we're transformed by the powerful word of Christ. That transformation that takes place in us now has to change our planet. The transformation in us must affect our world. We are to be a doer, means a spiritual agent of change. That's our mission. That's the Great Commission. Right? It's a great commission. Go! How many of you have goed recently? Huh? <laughs> Go. Get out there and make disciples. When, when, when people come, become saved, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until it's all said and done. See, there's the Great Commission, and that's what we're to be living out. That's being a doer. Man, it's not just being a taskmaster. It's not just sitting here and getting spiritually fat and happy. No. No, it's to take what I receive and to know what a privilege that this transformation here can now be used to transform out there. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's what being a doer is. Guys, listen. It's, It's... it's not just enough to come here and listen. And then you hear, and the next week you hear, the next Sunday you hear, the next Sunday you hear. And then you look at your life, and nothing that was said makes a difference. That's not Christianity. It happens a lot. It's another pastor fear or worry. Fear is a sin. But that I would speak these words by the, hopefully, the leading of Christ. And you'd walk out of here, and in two hours, after you have your summer sausage or whatever it is you eat, that you would forget everything that was said. See? No. And not just this dynamic here. Guys, how many, how many times have you opened the Word, and you read, and then you forget about what you read? You know, you read. Don't say that to somebody, and then you say it. No, man, we've got we to gotta take how, the work of Christ and make a difference. We're made different by it, and let's make a difference by it. He makes an analogy, by the way, after this, just to prove his point. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. All that means is, is a mirror, and you look at your face in it. And mirrors back then weren't glass, they were metal. 
And so they'd be like kind of these handheld mirrors and they have kind of bumps in them and stuff. And you have to kind of look around, look intently at yourself. So, so a man looks in the mirror, but he looks at it and he goes away and he forgets what he looks like. Okay, uh, guys, we do that all the time. Or at least I do. Uh, maybe some of you more mature men, uh, you know, look at the mirror intently. But, but I, I mean, I've, I've, I've walked out of the bathroom with my fly down. You know, I've, I've walked out with, with hair like this, you know, toothpaste, shaving cream, whatever. I mean, sometimes it happens. I can never, by the way, imagine a woman doing that. And that's a compliment. Because I've seen my wife look in a mirror and she's tweezing, you know, and she's got this intent. She's in front of the mirror and looks like 30 minutes and she's putting everything on. That's a compliment, baby. Thank the Lord you do that. And, but, um, but his point is this. Don't just look casually. See, the Word of God is the mirror. Don't look casually at the mirror. And this is the perfect mirror, right? This is not an imperfect mirror. It's a perfect mirror. But don't just haphazardly listen and then walk away and forget what you heard. See? Don't do that. Because it has to sink in our hearts. And that's his point. And we've all got to do it while we see it. The word intently there means to stoop down and look very closely with precision and care. Okay, okay. Well, we've got to wrap up. What do we do with that? Let me just close with this. Guys, um, if I had my next hour, we would have to go into verses 26 and 27, and, and, it, and, and I encourage you to, to, to study those. But the doing of the word fleshes out in two main places. One is in what you say. Uh, he says, if you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, you're fooling yourself. The word religious is outward worship. In other words, don't just think and go to church and go to community group and reading the Bible and doing communion and all those things is what saves you and makes you religious in God's eyes. Rather, take a look at what you say. Check out your speech. God, Jesus told us that out of the mouth speaks that which is in the heart. It's like a ladle. The heart, the mouth is like a ladle, dips down and what's in the heart comes out. And I just want to ask you, how have your words been to others this, this past week? How do we do the word? Well, first of all, check your speech. It has nothing to do with external, how you look. God doesn't care. He's not impressed with our activity. He cares about what we, what we are in our hearts. And then secondly, the last verse there in verse 27, is he says you need to visit, which is not just come by and say hi, but it's to visit as in what Jesus told us to, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, you nurtured me, you took care of me. He says you got to do that with widows and orphans. And it's not just widows and orphans, there's a, he's just using an extreme to show us, guys, we got to be servants, sacrificial servants to others around us. So how do we do the word? Well, first examine what you say and then examine whether or not your life is about sacrificial service to your family to your church, to the lost. Amen? And let me close with this. Everybody, if you would, close your Bibles because we're going to pray. And I'm supposed to look at somebody to uh, come up. Thank you for the time. It is not our perfection that proves that we're saved, guys, because none of us, none of us responds perfectly. It is our reaction to that imperfection. You know, do we long for these things? Do you long to hear from God? 
Do you long not to be bitter? Do you long to be willing to bow before the king? We all have shortcomings and all have weaknesses. His grace is sufficient to cover that. The the, the issue is the, the longing of our heart, the attitude of our heart toward Christ. Because we're all imperfect in our flesh. Perfect in our position, imperfect in our flesh. And so when we blow it, how do we respond? And I just want to encourage those of you who this Jesus thing is new and you're just thinking, well, isn't Christianity just one of a, a bunch of religions that I can choose from? The answer is absolutely not. The, the true but hard message in the reality, what's real? And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life, and no one gets to heaven but through me. And that's a fact. So guys... Let's spend a little time praying here, a few moments, just in quiet prayer. What has God showed you? What has He exposed in your faith? Whether or not it's real, or maybe there's some misunderstanding in there. How's God speaking to your heart this morning? Would you bow in quiet prayer? Lord, before we uh, uh, sing this last song, um, God, I, I just I just pray that the things that have been said and spoken today would sink in deeply into our, our souls and um, that all of that is from you, God, would, would stick. All that is not would go away. But Father, we, we don't want to fill churches up with uh, mere hearers. And I know that many people have heard the message today, that's not their desire. God, teach us and help us. Help us to know what it is truly to be a doer of the word and all that that comes with, knowing that we all stumble and fail. But you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, I pray for those who have not embraced you as their Lord and Savior. God, today would not be the day that they put their defenses up and argue and reject. Today would be the day that they surrender their heart to you. Lord, we just love you and we are so desperate for you and to hear from you and to know your will. So please, God, keep feeding us your word and everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.